0: Well, good evening, everybody. For those of you who don't know, my name is Jeff, and I'm one of the leaders here at Salt, and I'm really just grateful that you guys have chosen to spend your Tuesday night here with us. I just wanted to just say a couple of things about salt before we jump in. And the first being that, you know this is very a pivotal time for us as young adults. And so that's part of why this group exists. We recognize that you know, this, this stage right after high school, as you think about careers or school or pursuing relationships, like there's just a lot of change that happens in this young adult phase of life. And we at SALT just recognize how important it is for us, specifically in this age group, To have a strong community of of believers, people who can hold us accountable, people who can help encourage us in the faith to continue to seek God together, and to help us to grow to be the people that God wants us to be. And so we just want to invite you, if you are newer to SALT, to just engage in that with us, and that we can just do life together as we continue to pursue Jesus together. We want our lives to be lived according to God's word and the authority that we find there. And we just recognize how important it is to have that consistency in the lives of those around us. Also, before we jump in, just wanted to give a little shout out to Jobo in particular and the rest of the worship team. And just really appreciated the the set list for tonight. If you've been here specifically last week, as we've kind of reached this this point in the story of Job, just thinking about how big and great our God is. And we'll end tonight on a little bit of that similar note, very much that similar note. And so I guess with that, I do want to just kind of set up or remind us where we've been in this story briefly before we jump into Job chapter 40. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Job 40. We'll be looking at chapters 40 and 41. And so this is a story of, a true story, of a man who lived probably around the time of Abraham. We don't know the exact time for sure, but likely around that time. A time when there wouldn't have been any of the Bible recorded at that time. And Job was a faithful man who... God essentially offered Satan to tempt and to essentially destroy or take away everything that he had. He afflicted him severely. Job lost all of essentially all of his possessions. He lost all of his kids and most of his servants. And then as if as if that wasn't enough, his health was taken from him as well as he was ailed with severe sores this all happens in the first two chapters of Job. And then from there we see that his friends, a few of them, come and are there to support him. And very quickly that support turns, or those friends turn from supporting him to accusing him and can continue to just make his life even more miserable. They accuse him of having sinned against God. And so the middle chapters, chapters 3 through thirty seven are just all the back and forth between Job and his friends. Throughout this time, Job is crying out to God that he would help him. Eventually, Job turns to accusing God for allowing these things to happen, that God is, must be against him. So we've wrestled, as we've gone through these these chapters, with looking at the suicidal depression that Job was experiencing as well as the anxiety and the ongoing hopelessness of his circumstances, and all the other emotions that come with severe suffering. Additionally, we see again just how his friends have essentially abandoned him. And after what seems like, or what was likely months of seemingly silence from God, In chapters 38 through 41 we see God finally respond to Job and I think Zach made this really clear last week God was not obligated in any way to respond to Job but he graciously did and through what we see in chapters 38 through 41 God is declaring how great and mighty he is he's really putting Job in his place and helping Job see how wrong he was to accuse him of wrong, and to accuse him of injustice. We see God speaking in a storm, powerfully declaring these things to Job in a very authoritative way, asking questions like, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Where were you? And he lists several other where were you questions. And then mixed in with statements like, surely you, Job, know. Surely you can control this or that. Just pointing to the fact that Job, being the created, is nothing compared to the creator. And so seeing a passage like this, it should cause us to just just stop and just, and just... Be astonished at how great God is. It should be humbling to all of us. And I know that that was one of the main goals from last week, was for us to just have a bigger view of who God is, to have that greater reverence for Him. And I think tonight is very much the same. I look at chapters 40 and 41 as part two of, of this res- the response by God as we see some of his, his greatness. So I just want to get us to think for a moment. Ask yourself this question. Do you revere God? Do you want to behold the glory of God? Before we even jump in to our passage tonight, I want to read this quote from 17th century Puritan John Owen. In his book called The Glory of Christ, he says, It is impossible that someone who never meditates with delight on the glory of Christ here in this world, who does not make every effort to behold it by faith as to be revealed in Scripture, should ever have any real gracious desire to behold it in heaven. He goes on to say, We must make every effort to let that glory So fill our hearts with love, admiration, adoration, and praise to him that our souls be transformed into his image. I think this just speaks to how much we need to let the glory of God be something that leads us in to his presence, to be something that we desire and strive after. We don't want to be so consumed with ourselves, we want to be brought in by the glory of God. We want to be seeking that and to grow in our knowledge and understanding of that as we see His majesty, His glory, and His worth. And Job chapters 38 through 41 are one of the greatest displays of this in all of Scripture. So with that, I'd like to begin going through these these verses in Job chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I, have, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Job has been, continued to be put in his place by God, And here God asks, who can contend with the Almighty? In other words, who can prove God to be in the wrong? We know that God is infinitely pure and holy and just. And we see Job confess, essentially, who am I? And he says, I will shut my mouth. I think the fact that this isn't the end of the book proves that Job still hasn't quite gotten it yet, though. God still has a lot more to say. But just put yourself in the shoes of Job for a minute. How often do we, like Job, try to justify ourselves? We try to justify the things that we say or the things that we do. But before God, we do not have any defense. And as we read this, we read Job's reply, and it seems pretty obvious to us. What can Job say in defense? Before God, he looks kind of foolish in this moment, but so do we when we try to defend ourselves before God. And so it's wise sometimes to shut our mouths before those who know far better than we do. And so God continues, verse six. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So again, as as Zach kind of illustrated for us last week. This is not just a a quiet whisper. The Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together. Bind their faces in the world below. Then I will acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. Again, God is displaying his grandness to Job through a series of questions here. He begins by essentially telling Job, buckle up, I'm not done with you yet. Again, Job has been wrongly accusing God of wrong throughout his suffering, claiming that God has been unjust to him in allowing the suffering to happen, that God had not been fair to him. He was just desiring to have that opportunity to present his case before the Lord. But no one can condemn God. No one could stand before him and be in the right if they tried to condemn the Lord. God is helping Job to see this. We know that God is all-powerful and no one is like him. So God is essentially challenging Job here and basically saying that if you have the power and the authority to execute justice on the earth, then do it. Do it in the way that you believe is right. Then maybe you can have a case before me. We know that Job is not on equal plane, an equal plane with the Lord. The Lord continues in verse 15. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you, He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him. Where all the wild beasts play under lotus plants, he lies in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade, the lotus trees cover him. The willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? God's challenge to Job changes a little bit in these verses as he describes the nature and the creation of the behemoth. And what's interesting about this is again he's he's getting at this this arrogance and pride of Job, and just essentially getting him to admit that he can't create any such beast, or co create even. That this is something that God and God alone has created. And the word behemoth comes from, in the Hebrew means, a super beast. And so there's a little bit of debate as to what this is actually describing. Some believe, or a lot of people believe, that this is describing a hippo, or possibly an elephant, or maybe even some sort of dinosaur. We know it can't be a dinosaur because dinosaurs aren't real, right? (laughs) Anyway, you can ask me about dinosaurs after. I have a maybe slightly, comp- or slightly uh, I have a, a position on dinosaurs that may not be the most loved by most people. <laughs> but some people think that this could be a description of a dinosaur, maybe some other mythical creature. Regardless of what this is, we know it's something big and powerful. And the idea here is that Job must be strong enough to subdue this behemoth if he is to have any hope in being able to defend himself before God and, again, being able to show his justice in the world the way that he thinks would be right and just. And, again, I think the obvious answer is Job cannot even come close to being able to subdue such a beast. But God isn't done with a such a comparison. In chapter 41, God now brings in the description of a Leviathan. We continue reading. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fishhook fish or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will, you, will, you, will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among, among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle you will not do it again. Behold, the hope of man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. Again, this description of this Leviathan, this comes from the Hebrew word that possibly means sea monster, or it could even be something a little bit more vague than even that. The description, many believe, is of a crocodile here, although it also could be some sort of like sea dinosaur. Like, (laughs) the range of opinions can be big. Regardless, it's another big creature that's very similar in might to the behemoth, but likely with more of a sea presence or something like that. No one dare goes against this leviathan. But just imagine putting yourself in the shoes of somebody specifically around the time when this story is taking place. Right, like, think about around the time of Abraham, think about the kinds of weapons they would have had. Swords and spears maybe at best, but probably not even very good at that point. Imagine coming face to face with a giant crocodile. Nothing standing between you and this crocodile. How are you going to penetrate that skin of it, the armor it has? How are you going to take down this crocodile without it eating you? This is kind of the picture that we're seeing here in these, in these verses. No one in their right mind is going to go face to face with this crocodile and try to beat it, right? God is challenging Job. Are you confident enough in your strength and in your might? Do you really think you would, have a, you would stand a chance against a beast like a crocodile or worse? Who are you to go up against a beast like this? We understand with where we're, where we're at in this story. He's obviously pointing to who can stand against the Lord. This is what he's driving home here. Just as how big and how mighty is the behemoth or this leviathan, how much bigger is the Lord? How much more mighty is he? He's the one who made these beasts. And just as no one will go up against either of these beasts, who can stand before the Lord and defend himself? Verses 9 through 11 we we'll read nine. Behold, the hope of man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. You see there at the end of verse 10 and verse 11, God is very clearly declaring His own impossibility. You know, Christian was talking about this a couple weeks ago. God Himself is affirming that. No one can come before the Lord and sway Him or to get Him to go anything that's against His character or nature. No one can give to God and get something in return, nothing that would make Him change His mind. Nothing that would make him feel obligated to repay. God cannot be affected by us. That's part of just how big and mighty he is. Verse 12. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs, or his mighty strength, or his, good, his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment who would come near him with a bridle? Again, think about the imagery of a crocodile. Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to one another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another, they, they clasp each other. And cannot be separated his sneezings flash forth light and his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn out of his mouth go flaming torches sparks of fire leap forth out of his nostrils come forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rushes his breath kindles coals and a flame comes forth from his mouth In his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as a stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. At the the crashing, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail not the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake, one who would think the deep to be white-haired. On Earth, there is not like. There is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. There's none like this creature. How much more so is there none like our God, who is king over all? Through these comparisons of the behemoth and the Leviathan, God is declaring his own supremacy and omnipotence. He does not fear man. Man cannot touch him or affect him. He is truly to be feared and revered, just as these creatures are. But God is not only sovereign, but he is holy, just, and fair. So who does Job think he is? I think that's a question we've been thinking about as we've kind of seen Job's questioning of God throughout these middle chapters. The question we need to ask ourselves is, who do we think we are? I, like Job, am challenged when I read the words of God like this. When I come across a passage like this, that reminds me of how often I might feel angry about a situation or a circumstance and choose to respond in a sinful way. And I might even try to justify those actions because of the circumstances. We all do this. We think we can be justified because of our circumstances. But I think this passage helps us to see that we cannot justify ourselves before God. That no circumstance makes it right for us to respond in a sinful way. That we need to be humbly submitting to the Lord, even in those difficult circumstances. I think we need to remind ourselves of passages like this that get us to look up and see how big and awesome God is. How holy He is how holy we are not. And this should always result in a posture of humility. Our God is so big and incomprehensible. He's indescribable, like the song that we were singing. How far beyond our understanding is he? I want to read this quote from Stephen Lawson in his book called Show Me Your Glory. He says, Whenever we approach his throne of grace, there must always be a sense of awe, amazement, and astonishment to our devotion. We could never adore a God we could completely figure out. And even that, I just think it's interesting to think in these middle chapters, how often do we read passages, verses where Job or his friends thought that they'd figured out God. They thought they'd figured out why these things were happening or maybe why certain other things weren't happening. This quote continues. But because God is far beyond us, this realization should drive us to our knees. It should cause us to look up in wonder and amazement that the infinite one has made himself known to us. I think this is part of what I want to leave us on tonight. Just thinking about how amazing it is that this, this great God who we've been reading about, who's been revealing himself to us these past four chapters now, how amazing it is that he didn't remain silent. And not just to Job, but we have all of Scripture where he has revealed himself to us. That he's made himself known to us in a personal way. And we even have Jesus to look to as well as he's revealed himself through Jesus. We should be reminded of how big this God is and just marvel in humility that we can't even come close to fully grasping all that he is. And he has made himself known to us. How amazing is this grace that he has given to us and again, as we think about just the gap between his holiness and our sinfulness, how much more amazing is that? So I just wanted to challenge us before we jump into our small groups. I would challenge you to spend some time this week. Just reread Job 38 through 41. Spend some time reading those four chapters this week. Probably only take you like 10 minutes, maybe tops. Spend some time reading it, but after you've done that, just spend some time just meditating on it. Spend some time just meditating on what God has said about himself, specifically just in these few chapters. Let that just remind you of how much bigger he is than we are. And let that glory and majesty of him humble you and lead you into greater dependence on him.